Thank you for joining us here at Revolution 22. We are a church in downtown Boise, Idaho. As we learn from God's word in Philemon, we pray that his word would be received and would bear fruit in your life. I do want to pray again just because I, I think that it's, I think it's helpful to continue to kind of, especially when it's a little earlier in the morning and it's a little colder for those of us who are here uh, at the building. But um, if you're watching also too, just to kind of tune our minds a little bit, just for a moment, uh, to thinking about what the Lord might have for us today. And I'm going to do the same thing because, you know, I'm in the same boat, but I'm going to... I'm going to pray again for us, and I, and I challenge you just to kind of pray quietly for a moment, and then I will pray again. Father, we submit ourselves to your lordship, that you are over us, that you are for us, and that you have us. And God, I pray that right now as we listen to your word, I pray that you would um, use it as a form of loving one another, and that you would help us to uh, think through some of those implications as we walk through the story of Philemon. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for everything that you've done and everything that you are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in Philemon again today, uh, and we kind of talked a few weeks ago about kind of the two major themes of this letter, uh, which are reconciliation and the idea of koinonia, and koinonia being this partnership we have in the gospel, this collective idea of sharing in ministry together, united together in a purpose moving forward. This stems from the idea of acting out the gospel with one another. This is an idea of living out what we saw Jesus do. And now what that means is that because God loved us, we love. Because God showed us grace, we show grace. Because God reconciles us, we reconcile with each other and with the rest of the world, we have a ministry of reconciliation between the world and God. This is part of who we are as a people of the gospel. And so every aspect of what Jesus did is something we learn to do with one another. Now, two weeks ago, John talked about the qualities of somebody who is open to correction and that Philemon is an example of somebody who's open to correction. And uh, today we kind of get into a new branch of these big themes. So, the story of Philemon, the overview, again, just as a reminder, is you've got a slave-owning believer who's got a church in his house that meets in his house who has a runaway slave named Onesimus who meets Paul, the apostle, in Rome and somehow, we don't know what the circumstances were, but becomes a believer and then is valuable to the apostle Paul in his imprisonment. And the apostle Paul finds out kind of the scenario of Onesimus is leaving, and he brings and, and basically says to Onesimus, hey, you need to go back, make this right with Philemon, and I'm going to give you a letter to go with. Okay, now, to be clear, this was not a letter this, that was just read to Philemon. This was a letter for the church that happened to be dressed to a Philemon, which is really interesting if you think about it. Because, yes, he's speaking to Philemon, 
But the intention was, as he brought this letter with him, it was to be read to the whole church. Now, this brings up this idea. Why? Why in this personal relationship was there a scenario where you'd see the Apostle Paul beginning to teach something to the whole church? Well, that's where we get kind of these themes, where a scenario like the one we have here is an example of acting out the gospel in the community of God. That's the intention of the book. So Onesimus, no rights. Philemon, all the rights. The Apostle Paul really kind of having some rights spiritually in this circumstance, but none on a cultural level. He comes in and the Apostle Paul tries to literally begin to help Philemon almost counterculturally think of how he is first a believer and then a business owner. And what that does to Philemon in his culture, we don't know. We don't know how hard that was for Philemon to begin to go against his friends, the people he knew growing up with, the wealthy business people whom he did business with, who had other slaves, because at this time, the nation of Rome is a slave-based economy right? One third of the population in the city of Rome are slaves. One fifth in the entire kingdom are slaves. So we know that the economy is based on this. For Philemon to upend and differentiate a slave from someone other than just culturally with no rights, to make him and bring him into his household and not punish him for the wrong he's done is very, very scary for Romans. And so we see this big idea, right? This big idea of reconciliation, this big idea of what does it look like to see each other spiritually before we see each other culturally? What does it look like to witness to each other what the gospel looks like before we witness to each other what our culture expects? And so we as kind of believers, and today we're going to look more at this uh, from, from verses 8 to 16, there's one real big idea that I think is really intentional here, okay? And there's, it's repeated quite a few times. But I think what you'll see is that to act out the gospel, we as believers need to act out of love rather than fear of anything but God for that matter. So we as believers act out of love rather than acting out of fear. We make decisions out of love rather than make decisions out of fear of anything but God. And there are truly two paths in almost any situation or relationship. And that is the path of acting out of love or acting out of fear. Now this path, these paths will differentiate you quite significantly, especially within the church, that if we're going to act out the gospel with one another, we act out of love. Which means that it starts at the heart, at the motivation. Where is the decision coming from? Is it coming from a place of fear? Or is it coming from a place of love? And as we go down the line, you'll see the Apostle Paul shows what this looks like in Philemon 8 to 16. So I'm going to read it. And you'll see kind of this language that Paul is speaking to. And you'll see the posture of the Apostle Paul and how he represents this acting out of love rather than fear. This is Philemon 8 to 16. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet 
for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Now, this is a bit of a play on words. Onesimus means useful. I don't really, I think that's, that's he's, he's kind of saying something a little fun here, okay? It's kind of like a little injection of not humor, but it's the Apostle Paul having a good time with words. So I am sending him back to you. I am sending my very heart. Okay, now I want to pause here for a moment because I think when we read this language, one of the things that I've seen even commentators do in this book, in this letter, is they make this flowery, but not literal. And what I mean by literal is this. They take the metaphor and they don't go far enough with it. They don't act as if the Apostle Paul actually cares that much. When you hear this language and you hear Paul say, this is my child, this is my heart, my guess is, as you go, metaphor, it's cute, but I don't know that I believe him. Right? No, the Apostle Paul is not being, like, exaggeratory about Onesimus. He's not taking this relationship he has with Onesimus and just exaggerating it. No, we need to take this literally as seriously as possible. And by literal, I mean metaphorically, but you get the point. What he's saying is, is this person has become so important to me that it's as important to me as my own insides. Right? This person for me is as important to me as my own insides. Now, as a parent, I can, I can relate to that. Right? I can relate to the feeling of what it's like to see another person and feel like, gosh, that person is so important to me. And that's, I believe, part of the reason why when you say he's your child, I think as a parent, I want you, if you are a parent, to connect the idea of that. The Apostle Paul is saying, I care for Onesimus so much so that this is my little boy. This is my little boy. I love him so much. I want everything for him. I want the best for him. I want him to experience all the good things in life. Ah, but then you bring it back to what he's doing. He's sending him to a difficult situation. Right? How many of you, if you had the power to dictate in an authoritarian fashion, make happen something that you cared so much so for, make something happen for your child. And if you had the power to do that, would you be like, hey, I love you, person who has the power. I'm going to let you have the power to make this decision about my son. How hard would that be? How hard would that be if all you could do is command, make it happen? No, but for love's sake, I appeal to you. Why? Because the Apostle Paul, as we'll see in, as we keep going forward, is acting out of love and seeing things on a spiritual level before he sees things on a cultural fleshly level. He is loving the church. He is loving people the way that Christ loved her. I would have been glad, this is verse 13, 
to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted from you for a while, that you may have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Now he spoke briefly of the stakes of the situation, and we spoke a second ago about the love that Paul has for Onesimus, but had Paul straight up commanded Onesimus, I don't think any of us would have a problem with that. He does it in other places. He does it in 1 Corinthians, right, where he commands the Corinthians to do something. So you see that Paul is not afraid to command when needed. But in this circumstance, you've got three believers in a scenario where someone has wronged someone else or someone believes that someone else has wronged someone else. And what's interesting is culturally, we as Americans, we look at Philemon as the evil one because he's the slave-owning person. But culturally, Onesimus was the one who the people in this story would look at and go, gosh, Onesimus was awful. Now, why is that important? Because what's important here is not who did what, when, why. As much as it is, how do we come back together and act out the gospel with one another? How do we do this? In any scenario, any hardship, any difficult decision or situation. Now, I said there were these two pathways. You act out of fear or you act out of love. Now, 1 John teaches us something really interesting about acting out of love. And that is that when perfect love is present, when God has come in and he dwells inside of you, when he has changed you, fear is pushed aside. So we have come to know and believe. This is 1 John 4, 16 to 21. So we have come to know and we believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is also, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Now, this is talking specifically toward relationships and situations on an earthly level. Obviously, the fear of God is present. That is part of what we learn all throughout Scripture. The fear of God is present in the believer. But what isn't present is the fear of anything but God. That fear is put far from us when we come to the Lord. There is a deep sense of security and rest and lack of anxiety in the Lord. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Now, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have for him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Now, this is the crux of life. In the church, this is where it all centers around that God displayed, normalized, and instigated love among us. That it is His love that passes through us, that it is Him who moves through us, that God is literally moving in 
to the world, into the church, through you and me. That is what we are. That's when we say the hands and feet of Jesus, and when we say that we now have the ministry of Jesus, when we are called the body of Christ, it is because you and I are here as literal, tangible members of Christ. So when we start off this idea of loving others and acting out of love rather than acting out of fear, we first have to realize that we've been treated with such great love. Now again, what I'm about to say you've heard before. This is not new. And for many of you, you're going to realize, oh gosh, this isn't new for me at all. I've heard this a million times. I want you to hear it differently. I want you to hear it as something you participate in now. I want you to hear it as something you take from the Lord and you let it pass through you to others. Because this is the love that you've been shown that you then move in, that you show. John 15, 13 says, greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. This is how well you've been loved. That there is literally no greater possible love that can be shown to you than what has been shown to you. If you are a person who lives in a sense of lack, there is no greater love that can be shown to you than what's already been shown to you. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is not only willing to say, I love you. God is willing to show, I love you. And I'm going to ask you on a serious personal level, do you actually believe this? Can you actually look at this and say, gosh, I need this to go deeper and deeper and deeper into me? Why? Because at your core, God has changed something in you. Despite the fact that you still are wrestling with a sinful nature, God has shown you immense, immense love. And he has put inside of you something that you could never have known you needed. And sometimes it is in the simplicity of hearing things you've already known that you go deeper into the core of who you really are. You are a people who are loved. 1 John 3, 1 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Now, God knew something about us. In his love, he did something for us we couldn't do, but God knew all along something about us, that if we as small, mortal, weak people were to act out the gospel on this earth with one another, we would need to continually go to him with our fears. Why? Because I still haven't met somebody who even after Christ didn't wrestle with some form of fear. Now, I see a lot of people who have not acknowledged it yet, and that's okay. But in some form, because of who we are, which is finite, which is limited, we have a sense of our own limitation. And in our own limitation, we still can see how our own limitation can cause us issues or cause issues to those we love. A sense of our own limitation is not only needed for us to see who God is, and to, to submit to the gospel, but it's also something that can hinder us if we make decisions out of it. Because once we come to Christ, we do not make decisions 
out of a sense of fear. We make decisions out of a sense of faith and love that moves in trust that God has me. Why? Because God did something for me that I didn't even know I needed. If God does that, and if God is so active and involved in me, then why not walk in that trust of him? See, the thing about God that's so interesting and the thing that we miss oftentimes is how willing he is. Oftentimes we see God as not willing to help us. That's not true at all. God is so willing and active and participating in the process of you doing the thing that you want to do with him. Meaning this, if you are afraid, what does he say to us? He says, I know you're limited. I know that you're small. I know you're going to wrestle with things here. I know that you're going to struggle. I know that as you're perfected in love, there's going to be a process of you changing and moving and developing and maturing. And I've br- I brought you the scriptures. That's going to refine you. I've brought you myself for your comfort and rest. And I want to be your place. I want to be your source. It is the willingness of God to participate with you actively in complete community with you that makes this so fun. That acting out of love is just a natural process of who we are and who we hang out with, the Lord. And in our age, in which we know more and more about what is happening in the world, there is more to be fearful of. Right? And yet we trust in God. Why? Because he's not finite. He is not limited. He has all power and he is determining the outcomes. If that's the case, I want to remind us again of something we already know. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. You do not graduate this verse you actually learn continually for the rest of your life what this means. It might be 10 years from now, and I want you to think about this on a personal level for a second. Go inside and think about this, okay? What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What's the worst possible outcome in that thing? I don't know about you. I can't see, I cannot see in my brain how God can work that out for good. Why? Because I'm limited. When you embrace the fact that you're limited and you need to put your trust in someone who's not, you can finally let go of the need to rule with fear, whatever it is you have power over. When you can let go, when you can walk in love, then you can start to see what this passage really means, which is that 10, 15, 20, 30, 60, 80, 90, 120 years from now, God is working something out for good. You don't know, and that's okay, because you won't. We are a trusting people because we are a limited people, and we know of someone who's not. This is our place. Psalm 91, this is our place. This is where we live, okay? Psalm 91, which is a great, great section of Scripture if you want to dwell in this, if you're somebody who really, truly dwells in fear most of the time. Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. 
And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Lord knows you are finite and that most, if not all of us, will fear. And yet he has ordained for us peace. This is Philippians 4, 6 to 8. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now I want you to think about this for a second. I want you to picture in your mind that fortress. How safe are you, really, when it comes to the deepest things in life? How safe are the most important things in the world? How safe are they? God is the fortress. You are in that fortress. You are literally under that fortress. My God, my refuge, and my fortress. And what else? Who's standing guard? It is the peace of God standing guard in the fortress of God. And guess what? You're in it. Not only is there a fortress, but there's someone standing guard. And it's the peace of God. You are literally a fortress around you, person who's the peace of God is then defending you from all of what the world has to offer you, which is your finiteness. Guess what? God is not limited. And you are dwelling inside of the fortress that is him. And he is saying, no, like I've, got, I've stationed the peace around this entire fortress and it is defending you. So where is our mind? As we think about life and decisions, where is our mind? It says in verse 8 of of Philippians 4, it says, Finally, brothers, this is in light of what we just said, in light of peace being the guard inside of the fortress of God. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And it is our mind staying on the Lord and the things of the Lord that let us operate in peace, which then let us operate in love. Why? Because in peace, we have let go of fear. We have trusted God, and now we can operate in the gospel. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Now, God knows that if we are to act out of love rather than fear, we would need a place to rest. That is him. When we are in Christ and walking in the Spirit, we walk from a place of deep security. Hear that. Because I think culturally there's this sense that if you just just work through everything right away, you'll feel secure. Now, you need to work through things. But what your security is in, what your real security is in, is that you are in Christ, the fortress, being guarded by peace. That is who you are. That is the mental picture of who you are as a person who walks with the Lord. So then when we go to act out the gospel and we walk in the spirit, what happens? We see the example of someone like the apostle Paul who is guarded by peace, who is living in that fortress. And what does he do? He asks Philemon to act so counterculturally. That in all honesty, whether he's 99.9% sure that Philemon is going to take Onesimus back is not the point. He says, I will literally give up the thing that I care the most about, but I will do it as an act of love because I want Philemon to grow in this also. Why? This is the beauty of acting out of love. What we don't realize, and and I'm going to walk through this very quickly, and this is extremely important, especially these passages It is that fear and anxiety keep the love of God from spilling out of us. And when fear and anxiety are are literally applied to decisions and postures in our relationships with one another, they are not going farther toward maturity. They are going toward immaturity. 
let me make this really clear. You may be able to dictate, and you may be right in outcome that you want. But if you acted out of fear, and you controlled the situation in some form, and you acted in anger, that situation and the people involved are being driven toward immaturity more in that circumstance than they are toward maturity. You got your outcome. You were right. But nobody's more mature for it. Fear leads us to desire control and paralyzes us from love. In the case of the Apostle Paul in the letter to Philemon, he would have been totally justified to command Philemon to take Onesimus back, to make sure that Philemon did what Paul thought was right. And what makes this more interesting is Paul is perfectly right. He knew that Philemon taking back Onesimus displayed the gospel. And yet, even though he could, and even though he was right, he did not act out of fear. But he lovingly appealed to Philemon in order for Philemon to have real heart change and decide in the Lord to act out the gospel with Onesimus. This is where it gets interesting, okay? Because the scriptures teach this. We see this in Romans 2.4. It's that the kindness of God is effective for leading to repentance. Think about this for a second. It is the kindness of God that is effective for leading to repentance. Well, why is that important? We see it again in 1 Corinthians 13. What doesn't fail? Love. Love doesn't fail in accomplishing the purpose of love, which is to continually move people closer and closer to the Lord. Kindness actually leads people to maturity and repentance. Hear me, entire dadgum country, please. Kindness leads people to repentance. You can control somebody with fear and anger, but love and kindness will actually help that individual potentially have real change. In fact, when we act out of fear, and that leads us to anger, by the way, if you are acting out of fear, eventually your anger will take over because you need to control a situation. If somebody does not submit to your command, guess what happens? You have to rise up and execute your demand. James 1.19 and 20. And this verse falls so hard. Know this, my beloved brother. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. If you try to control the people around you, it will be ineffective to help them grow and you will get more and more immaturity. Which leads, if you are leading out of fear, which means if you're acting out of fear, guess what you need to do? You end up acting out of fear more because their immaturity will cause them to make bad decisions and you will lead out of fear, 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 fear. But the way of the gospel is to act out of love. And what does love do according to the scriptures? Love in kindness leads to what? Repentance. The thing you want. The righteousness of God comes. And it might be harder in the moment. It might be harder in the moment. But in the end, the fruit of kindness is repentance. Now, why is that? Because this has something to do with the nature of sacrifice and what Jesus instigated in us, that all love is sacrificial, that fear wants to take control. Fear wants to take autonomy. 
Fear wants to remove the ability for someone to grow by making a decision for them. And love does what? It gives. You will give something up if you want to walk with Jesus. You will give up something to love others. Ah, and this is where the finite fear comes in again. Oh, but if I do that, I don't have enough. No. The gospel says you have more than you need. Giving it away, this is the humorous part about this whole thing. Giving away sacrifice, according to the gospel, actually makes you get more. It's like this weird, like, you receive, like, more. It's weird. And to be honest with you, I'm still too finite to understand it myself. But there is something in acting in love where you have more than you thought you could possibly have. Now, in the story of Philemon, we see that it takes Philemon It takes Paul and it takes Onesimus, all acting in love and all sacrificing what? Control. And in so doing, what happens? You see that they spiritually see each other and they walk kingdom living. What does kingdom living mean? What am I talking about? It's that there's no longer slave master. There's no longer a cultural distinction or value placed on an individual person based on any discriminatory fact. In fact, what's happening is that we see each other and we value each other in love. When we value each other in love, we see how Galatians 3.28 is true, where there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ. What is oneness? Oneness is the ability to have unity in the world, to have a collective spirit moving forward with the gospel. Why? Because I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The gospel will not be stopped. And you can, in your individual circumstances, through fear and control, you can stop the gospel from acting in a unique situation, but you won't stop Christ from moving it forward. He will do it. And he will do it through you if you continue to participate in this rhythm of the gospel. And that is this. Christ died for me out of love. I have love. I sacrifice for others out of love. They have love. They sacrifice for others out of love. They have love. They sacrifice for others out of love. And then they have love. And it moves forward and forward and forward. And then fear pops up. Oh, man, fear pops up. It comes up. It's in us. It's deep. We're finite. We're limited. We see our limitation. And what do we do? We run to God who was our fortress. And we see the guards who are peace defending us. And what do we do? We are filled again. This is the rhythm of the gospel. This is what koinonia means. So I have three questions to end with today. And I want us to think about these uh, on a a personal level, in your own time if you can. On a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust God? And what would it look like this week to map out some ways you can increase that number? On a scale of one to 10, how much do you trust God? And what would it look like this week to map out some ways you can increase that number?
Now, in your closest relationships, this is number two. In your closest relationships, remember that it is kindness that leads to repentance, and the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. When we act kind, we are acting out of love. When we act angry or controlling, we are acting out of fear. Where are you acting out of fear in your life, and where are you acting out of love? And what would that look like for you? To choose to act out of love. And the last thing is, do you see the church around you, mainly the way Christ sees them, as brothers and sisters? As Philemon is challenged by Paul to see Onesimus, not as a slave, but as a brother, which Paul is upending the whole darn thing in that, by the way. Yes, he doesn't outright say slavery is evil. He doesn't need to. He says the slave is your brother. What does it look like to live as if we are all equal in God's family, equal in value before the Lord? Now, the story of Philemon is the continued reminder that we are tasked to live out the gospel with one another in all circumstances. And I want to end today by urging you to remain kind, humble, and caring about people around you more than you care about their opinions. Can you, will you, give, 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 in recognition of how much you've been given, 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 rather than take, take, take. Because when you do, you will see a fruit of repentance, but it takes time. Guess what you have? Eternal life. You have time. You have time. Let's act out of love rather than acting out of fear. And as a community, we will see the fruit of that. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your kindness and your goodness. I thank you that in your humility, you did not, uh, you did not simply just stick to heaven, but that you moved you acted in love. And Lord, I, I cannot imagine a world, but I'm so excited to live in it eventually, where there is only acting out of love and fear is no more. And Lord, I pray that we as a community would be an outpost, a bright light, a humble servant of love, in our families, in our cities, workplaces, things like that. The practicals, Lord, I pray you would make us that, oh, that beacon, Lord. May we be your gospel here. We praise you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. Please visit revolution22.org to find out more information about our church. We remind you to continue to value community. We pray that God's word has drawn you closer to him and that you may continue to love God and love others.